Hello and welcome to Now Here's a Thing, the latest laid-back podcast crafted by me, Tracy Jones, and me, Heather Noble. Here we are again. We're not in a pub. Again. No, we're not. This is a failure on our part, but... But I'm pleased to say that we will continue to do research into finding decent pubs to record a <laughs> podcast in. I think it's so for the cause. Yeah, the the one that we first recorded in is now permanently closed, so I'm not sure we're we're very good for business, Heather. Oh yeah. So if you see us coming in, it's the final <laughs> nail in the coffin of your boozer. Sorry about that. Now, here's the thing, Heather. Did you know that clothes from the north of Europe or and and USA get sent to Africa. Seventy percent of the clothes that are donated to charity shops ends up in Africa. How come? Well, Uganda alone imports a hundred million pounds worth of secondhand clothes a year. They get sold to street vendors in bales, like ninety kilogram bales, and they sell them. So people in Africa Uganda, for example, are wearing second-hand clothes from the global north, is how it's described. Okay, so does that mean that we don't we don't buy them, or do they sort through and just cherry pick the best, and we're actually sending tired? Yeah, well, so reading this, so this is an article in Positive News caught my eye it's called let me scroll down the ugandan designer who upcycles british cast-offs and returns them to sender so there's a gentleman called bobby Kalade. i think Kalade. sorry i haven't got any better at pronouncing names in all these years um he buys some of these second-hand clothes recycles upcycles them and then sells them back to the global north which is quite enterprising. But he says that the stuff that they get in Uganda is really the worst of the worst. So that they're they're not getting good stuff. They're getting shirts with sweat stains under the arms and, and trousers with sort of holes in them. Oh spat jeans spattered with grease or paint. So the charity shop sells the clothing as rag, do they? I suppose. I think so. They they must then um do a bulk sale to get rid of them and, and they get exported and then they get purchased presumably at a low price but then they get sold on again he says here that what started out as a, a charitable idea has become a multi multi-million multi-billion dollar business because wow. it gets sold on again and then yeah. they're selling them to people in uganda to actually wear so what he does is he gets the same clothes from the street vet the same warehouses that the street vendors get their clothes but he sorts through the bales to get things that he can repurpose and so he'll then um, repurpose it into something funky and sell it back and that it's called return to sender <laughs> sell it back. <laughs> that's the brand yeah um so the, he says we're being a bit cheeky but it's sort of trying to send out a positive message and this guy is he's got quite a, um, a good background he's half german half nigerian with 13 years of working in luxury fashion so he's he's won a vogue award so his background 
is fashion. Um, And he's he crafted a collection from vegan leather. And this vegan leather is known as bark cloth, which comes from Uganda. So he went back to Kampala after um, spending his time working in luxury fashion in Europe and then went and and started um, a clothing business. I love the part in Sewing Bee. I don't know if you watch Sewing Bee. Where they, oh, yeah. where they have the upcycling week. Everything is, is upcycled. But they also have a, a challenge every week, I think, don't they, where they have to upcycle something as well. Yeah, like they're given a tracksuit and have to turn it into something or else. A or a cover. duvet cover or yeah. something, yeah. I love that. And I, I don't have those skills at all, but I, I really admire somebody who can take a duvet cover and turn it into a couture piece of uh, clothing. Yeah, I just think it's a shame that, I don't know. It it feels a little bit. I don't know. Like if people if they if people are paying to wear jeans that have got grease stains on them or paint stains on or them shirts or, or shirts that have got sweat stains. Yeah, that that surely that should be going to, back into the um, fabric production industry. You know that should be sifted out. But I, you know, if I don't know. It's 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 great from an environment point of view. It's great if people are if some people are making money out of it. It's great if charities are making money out of it. Great, but I don't think the way he describes it. He says many African countries, um, including Uganda. So it's not not limited to Uganda. Yeah. Says it's become a waste bin for the North's clothing castoffs, which is quite sad. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. If it's if it's enabling an economy of some sort. That's not so bad, but it just feels a little bit feels a little bit sad. Yeah, so it, it's not that they're going from a charity shop and then getting donated to the poor in those countries. It's going from a charity shop and then being sold to the poor in yeah, those countries. Yeah. yeah. But let's get back to the fashion upcycling. What do you think about that? Oh wow, that looks like lots of different tracksuits have all been joined together. What's this, it made out of, does it say? The trousers are made out of a jacket. Okay. So this guy here has got his legs through the sleeves of a jacket. So they're those... They're proper, those trousers loom are pants. really... No, yeah, they're not they're, loom pants. Yeah, they're the they? crotches down, yeah, by, your down by your knees. Yeah, and The tracksuit thing look look quite funky, actually. Yeah, I, I think they all look funky. This one here looks like two football shirts sewn together. And that lady's wearing... Uh, incredibly elegant looking suit so there's a long jacket yeah been turned into like a an over gown or something with a pair of shorts made out of the trousers yeah yeah style yes you could see that on a catwalk but again i suppose that's because a lot of catwalk stuff is concept rather than stuff that you're actually supposed to wear but those those actually look like things that you could probably wear yeah maybe not me and you No, well, I've got quite long legs, so assuming I could get my legs into the sleeves of a jacket, they certainly, they, it'd be around my ankles. Yeah. The crotch wouldn't be anywhere by my knees. Could you, you imagine? <laughs> but is his business a fashion business or is it a community interest company or is it a proper commercial enterprise or is it a Yeah, I think or? it is. I think it's a commercial enterprise. Um, he's got a team of six people. Um, it's a brand called Bussy Garhill. And, uh, yeah, I do think because he's selling them back to the global north, yeah. it, it's a, a business for him. It's uh, 
he's employing six people and making use of what's been sent down and sending it back and turning a profit on it. I do know a lady locally who um, has her own um, fashion label, um, quite a small label. Um, then she set up a company that prints T-shirts. And then the last thing that she was doing as part of that company was going to charity shops and buying mostly jackets and then putting embellishments and changing things on the jackets and then selling them. So I suppose, but you've got to have that eye to yeah. what do you do with skills this, as well. Yeah, what do you do with this pile of stuff? So it, it's a couple of things. It really is the eye but and the skill to execute it yeah. as well. I just look at I it as a pile of clothes that nobody wants to wear. <laughs> anyway, now, here's the thing. Uh, we have been known to um, drop the odd obscene word, the odd swear word, we while have. we've been recording our podcast. We have occasionally. We, we try very hard not to, but as soon as the, the um, as soon as we switch off the microphone, then we're like a couple of navvies. <laughs> <laughs> However, I found an article uh, on a website called The Conversation about the power of swearing. The power of swearing. The power of swearing oh, and yeah. how obscene words can influence your mind, body and relationships. Well, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> in terms of relationships but once upon a time um we assumed that it was you know people used to say that you know oh if you swear it means you haven't got the vocabulary to yeah. convey what you the intellect the intellect yeah. etc however um there are some there are some elements um a study by um somebody from ulster university the university of westminster and soderton university um came up with some evidence to say that Actually, swearing can be quite a powerful thing. The use of taboo words can deeply affect the way we think, act and relate to each other. And we often associate the idea of swearing as being sort of cathartic, you know, to mm. get rid of, you know, like you were yeah. talking about making noises when you stand up. Yeah. So, <laughs> so having a, a good bollocks really just releases. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's yes. always been my go-to word. Yeah. Yes. Um, but then, and, and also apparently, if you swear in your native language, it's more cathartic than if you swear in a, another language. So shit, for me, is better than merde in French, you know? Yeah. So yeah. It's, so um, so that was, but it, it says that it actually, swearing arouses our emotions. It can increase sweating and it can potentially tr trigger the fight or flight function. But these things um, are all part of emotional processing. And they're suggesting that certain different types of people get different benefits from it. So it might activate parts of your um, limbic system. Or if you have had, if you've had a, a brain injury or something, people can often remember how to swear <laughs> more easily than... Um, than some of the other words and it, it's got me thinking about you know often people who have Tourette's not always yeah. often people who have Tourette's syndrome say swear words don't they yeah um people with dementia yes my, my nan took up drinking whiskey and swearing like a navvy when she um progressed in dementia yeah. so so that suggests that it's something that is actually embedded in us there's 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 some reason as you say like an emotional trigger or yes. emotional release yeah, yeah yeah um other studies have said that some people feel physically stronger after they've sworn now whether that's to do with 
when they're getting out of the chair, they go bloody hell. And then <laughs> that allows them to get out of the chair. I don't know. Okay. Um, but yeah, it just sort of, um, it just sort of changed the, put it all on its head that once upon a time, swearing was not a good thing. Now, where do you stand on swearing? What's your, I mean, obviously we both swear. We do. When would you not swear? Um, I try not to in front of my mother-in-law because I know she doesn't tend to swear herself. Okay. Yeah. So I respect her preferences. Okay. Um, I would tend not to swear in front of somebody I don't know so well. Okay. What if they swore? Would you then swear? Potentially, but maybe not in a job interview. Okay. Okay. Uh, maybe... Maybe if, you know, if you were in a business situation, I still think that's quite tricky unless you, you're you on safe ground. Mm. Yeah, I'd find it difficult. Mostly my swears are normally, you know, response to something. It is a, a release. Yeah, okay, okay. But actually, I'm thinking back to when I was an auditor, swearing was just what you did in the audit room but you would never do it in front of the client okay so is that because words just failed you when you looked at the no, state i mean of... it wouldn't necessarily be because of bad things but somehow it became you know everybody used a swear word in every other sentence in that particular culture okay but it wasn't necessarily because things were bad but actually you'd be effing this and effing that and um that would be quite normal, but you'd switch. Okay. Yeah. You could, you, you can consciously make that. Yeah. It's sort of like picking up somebody's accent, isn't it? Or yeah. you know, you're actually being part of the crowd. So if the language they're using is a little right, yeah, you, you would potentially join in. So it's part, yeah, it's all part and parcel of, of fitting in. Isn't yeah. It? Um, they're, they're also saying that it might be possible for swearing if you are around swearing as a child, then you it becomes part of your vocabulary. A bit like um, if you know the words of a song. You know when you hear a song on the radio, you've never yeah. heard it for years, and yet you know all of the words. Yeah. But they're, but they're also saying that you know. So sometimes you might say rollocks instead of um, or sugar instead or sugar. of sugar. Apparently, that doesn't have the same effect. No, sugar isn't the same. No, it? no. But even though when you're saying that word. You or you're actually thinking it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Why did she do that? Shit. Shit. <laughs> yeah, like when we were saying penis last week. Yeah. Oh, you see, yeah. you just said it in a, a slightly yeah. Les Dawson yes, voice. Exactly. Exactly. It, I just thought it was quite interesting that they're dispelling the myth that swearing is wholly, totally a bad thing, and that actually part of it might be a subliminal thing that we yeah. kind of can't help. I think it, the answer to that is very much it depends. Yes. Yeah. What's the context? Yeah. Who are you with? Yes. <laughs> what are the implications of what you're about to say? Yeah. How angry are Yeah. So, but I think that's the whole, sometimes it's a conscious thing. You know, yeah. sometimes you might say a swear word to shock and the intention is to, to shock. Yeah. Uh, and that's quite funny. But sometimes you're shocked and the swear word comes, comes out. out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think those are the differences. But anyway, there's a science to it. There's a science. Yeah. And people have studied it at length. Okay. Here's the thing. It's more of a question. 
So I just saw this post on Twitter from a, um, a gentleman today. And he just posted, my idea of retirement is to find a community that's as eager to relocalise food and energy systems as I am and set to work doing just that. Community scale prepping, I think we need more of it. And to the extent we do it, I suspect we'll all be glad we did. Heather's sitting there with a frown on her face going, where is she going with this? And with... With me, it's he's saying when I retire, this is what I want to do. Okay. But my question is, why would you not start doing that now? Maybe he's busy finding a cure for TB or something. Okay, good point. So then my, my follow-up question, not expecting you to have answered that one quite so <laughs> succinctly, <laughs> damn you, is uh, what is your idea of retirement? Oh, do you I've actually been thinking about that quite a lot lately lately, because I've got a birthday coming up, so I'm going to be 56. And you sort of think about, oh, crikey. Having met somebody, like I said last week, who I hadn't seen for 32 years, and if I I roll forward 32 years, then I'd be 88, and I don't think I'm going to live till I'm 88. Um, So I've been reflecting quite a bit on, like, what would I do when I'm fit and healthy enough to still do something but not actually working. And I kind of think, I don't think I'll ever retire. I think I'll always be doing something. I don't think I'll be, don't think I'll be financially secure enough to be able to just go and live in the south of France and yeah. eat bread and cheese. That's the thing, isn't it? This sense of retirement from, from our generation. You know, we've seen parents do it. At, um, you know, they, they, they retire in it reasonable ages and they've got some money and they can go off and and have a whole other life i'm not sure that's on the cards for me actually and and i know i would always want to be busy but i'm actually starting to wonder now whether i just have to keep working yeah yeah i mean let's not forget that there are an awful lot of people who work really really hard get to retirement age retire and then you know drop down dead so it's not to say that I wouldn't be grateful for that time, but I think because I'm a social person, I would need to be doing something. I might need to be earning money, but I at least would need to be volunteering or just yeah. having a sense of purpose. And that's probably why that tweet connected with me. It's like, oh, he's got a sense he wants to do something of purpose, something yeah. that's going to benefit the community, and I can really get that. I'm not sure what that would be for me, but if if I did have the opportunity to retire yeah. and had the financial freedom to retire, then, yeah, I think I would be wanting to do something that benefited the community. And let's not forget that, actually, at the point at which we retire, who knows what the next thing will be, you know, the next cause or, you know, what what your community might need or what you've learned about that, you know, suddenly you want to go and save, I don't know, the rare penguins. Breed, the penguins or you know, go and count penguins in Antarctica. Exactly. Sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So we, we don't really know. Something might happen to us that changes our perspective. And before you know it, we're, I don't know, protesting against milk. Have you seen the thing about the, yeah. the milk? Yeah. Um, maybe we become sort of an anarchist and start, 
activist. An activist, not an anarchist. An activist. activist. Although you could be an anarchist. Yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can be what you yeah, want. Yeah, you can be what you like. Do you not remember yeah. your mum saying to you, you can be whatever you want? You can want. be whatever you I want. I bet she didn't think anarchist was on the list. No, she didn't. And my dad used to tell me I was going to be a steamroller, so, you know, okay. I'm doing quite well on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but... um. I, I was reading the comments below it, and a lot of people were pointing this gentleman towards, uh, well, go and join a, a local permaculture group, okay. learn about permaculture. Okay. I don't know anything about permaculture. I didn't go any further with that, but that sort of stuck in my mind as to something. Maybe next week I'll be going, now here's the thing, permaculture. permaculture. Yeah, the other thing, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes somebody has an idea and people go, well, what you want to do is you want to go and rather than, is there anything I could help you with to do that? Yeah. Have you, have you got a vision <laughs> for that? You know what? Yeah. No, you need to do this, this, this and this. Yes. And it will be, it will be dead simple, dead straightforward. Yeah. Anyway, I, ho I hope he achieves his retirement yeah. dream. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if he lives near me because that would be quite nice. Yeah. Well, you could go and learn about permaculture because you like learning stuff. I do. And then um, you could talk to us about it. That would be that would be great. Can I just share one thing with you that because uh, I you know I like a drink and I've been <laughs> I've been concerned about pubs. Okay. You know, rising energy prices. I thought you were going to say you've been concerned about your drinking. No, no that's okay. a whole nother conversation. That's, that's, that's okay. totally fine. I'm yes, I'm quite good at it. Um, but you know, lots of pubs are closing, yeah, etc. Yeah. And I know it's it was it was actually in the news, but I saw this. Um, Last week, and I was going to mention it last week, but we got carried away talking about semen and um, penises. And penises. Penises. <laughs> I'll just say it. Penis. We're saying it like girls in a playground, aren't we? We are. Penis. So a lot of pubs have set out, set themselves out as co-working spaces. Yes. Which, um, so Fuller's um, and uh, Young and Co, they basically have, so Fuller's in particular, um, they're offering a £10 a day deal um, where you can have like Wi-Fi and some soft drinks. Um, um, at Young's, you get lunch. Uh, so Young's, it's £15, sandwich, soft drink, Wi-Fi. Fuller's, £10, um, soft drinks, Wi-Fi uh, and power. You can plug yourself in. Um, and that's quite a good idea get some footfall into pubs yeah i think we we discussed an article on this a little while ago on big business briefs and if yeah. you remember and one of the one pub that was doing it wasn't it wasn't a, a whole um, brewery chain i think it was on particular pub said it looked better for potential clientele if the car park looked like there were people yeah. in the pub yeah and if there were people in there it, it had some atmosphere yeah like so when they really get that yeah they seat you in the window of a restaurant when there's nobody else there and they put you in the window because they want to fill the, win the yeah. window up so don't it want looks... to look empty do no. you so it looks busy and buzzy but also it um it reminds me of like years ago where you know the the man of the house would say i'm going to see a man about a dog oh yeah it's going to the pub, pub. yeah now, you, you, you could say, Heather, quite right. I'm, I'm just going to work, darling. Yes, I'm going to meet a client in the pub. But but I wonder whether with with the the, the heating crisis, you know, the fuel crisis, um, more and more people working from home. Well, okay, so you're working from home, but you might not be able to afford to put the heating on because the amount that you're being given by your employer, or if you're being given anything, doesn't cover it. So actually, going to the pub. 
um, and being warm and paying 10 quid and getting some drinks, you know, or maybe a sandwich, is going to be cheaper. We're already talking about places opening up as warm spaces. Yeah. So maybe relocate yeah. your, your workspace into yeah. the pub and maybe put a background filter on so that people can't see you in the pub. Yeah, but I, but again, maybe it will be a cultural thing. Once, so once upon a time, having a meeting in a coffee shop wouldn't be terribly professional. Now, oh, yeah. people are having meetings in coffee shops all the time. Working in a coffee shop, it's just part and parcel of a, a sort of fluid way of working. So it would be quite good if the pub's got to have the heat and light on in case a customer walks in. Um, yeah, can you imagine if they don't put the heating on until you walk in? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. And to a blanket as yeah, you walk yes, in. Yeah. yeah. But it could just be a way of ticking a few boxes. I mean, it's not going to deal with the people who, you know, are really, really struggling. I'm not saying and it's not going to save the pub economy. No. But it could be a bit it's of a It's an balance. interesting move, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And now we just need a quiet space to record in that pub. But we won't get it because everybody's going to be working. Yeah, there. they'll all be I'm on the phone. Bye, bye, bye. Sell, sell, sell. Sack him. Escalate it. <laughs> Think outside the box. What's all the other jargon that people say now? You know what I mean? It'd just be some annoying blokes that next and week. Then... <laughs> <laughs> They're on their important teams call. Bye, 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 sell, sell, sell. And then we hear elephant semen. <laughs> And um, so Heather here. Yes. <laughs> now here's the thing is a Jones and Noble production brought to you every week. Well, maybe not every week, Heather. <laughs> Recorded with an iPhone, a microphone, and lots of hot air. <laughs> <laughs>